You're listening to an ACCA podcast. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. My name is Max Delaney. It's a great pleasure to welcome you to the Uncommon Knowledge Lecture Series, which focuses on artists' special interests and subjects that inspire their art, life and thinking. To begin with, I would like to sincerely acknowledge the Boon traditional owners and sovereign custodians of the land upon which we meet, along with the Wurundjeri and all Kulin nations, and we extend our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and to all First Nations people who join us this evening. Our lectures are happening on a monthly basis, accompanied by a unique cocktail created by our partners, Starwood Whiskey and the Melbourne Gin Company, with Fiona Hall being the focus of the next lecture and speaking on global politics, surveillance, immigration, the EU and Brexit on the 18th of June. Before I welcome our guest speaker tonight, I'd first like to thank the Melbourne Gin Company for creating the gin, sherry and basil cocktail for us this evening, suitably soylent green in colour. Um, we also like to acknowledge our presenting, presenting partner, Abercrombie and Kent, bespoke travel agency who offer unique adventures and vacations and cultural tours to destinations around the world. And also our event partners, the City of Melbourne and CAPI, and our media partners, the Saturday Paper, 3RRR and Broadsheet. This evening, it's a great pleasure to welcome and introduce Ronnie Van Hout. Ronnie is a New Zealand-born, Melbourne-based artist who creates large-scale installations, sculpture, video and photography, along with public sculpture, all of which often makes reference to personal psychology and the body as both subject and material. Often engaged in self-portraiture, usually deconstructed with equal mixes of humour and the macabre, Ronnie's work never leaves anyone indifferent. Ronnie is the recipient of the 2018 Melbourne Art Fair Commission, which will be unveiled this August in a large tent on Acker's North Forecourt. And he'll also be the subject of the second exhibition at Buxton Contemporary, opening in July. His work has been presented in numerous institutions in Australia and internationally, including Bedsit at Artspace, which I can't believe was way back now in 2008, a survey exhibition, Who Goes There? at Christchurch Art Gallery in 2009, among other solo exhibitions such as the Institute of Modern Art in 2010 and more recently at the Centre for Contemporary Photography in 2015, along with regular exhibitions at Station Gallery in Melbourne and Darren Knight Gallery in Sydney. Ronnie is also a musician and a member of the now legendary New Zealand band Into the Void, which was once referred to, and I quote, a caustic, chaotic, sprawling mess of a band, which was the subject of a documentary feature film I think last year or the year before. A couple of years ago, yeah. A couple of years ago. We've aged considerably since then. In 1986, in one of his early exhibitions at the Southern Cross Gallery in Wellington, called Believing is Seeing, Ronnie presented a number of paintings of aliens. And a decade later, in 1997, he developed a joint exhibition at Acker with fellow New Zealand expatriate Michael Stevenson called Premillennial, Signs of the Soon Coming Storm which keyed into the failed utopias of the 20th century and the existential, apocalyptic, end of the millennial anxieties which have marked much of his work since. These two projects might give you an insight into his lifelong interest in the truth behind conspiracy theories, flying saucers, UFOs, alien abductions, and the future of the planet Earth in relation to art and feeling. Ronnie will be showing some videos, sonic blasts, and I'm sure much else. Um, and we'll be, have time for questions at the end, um, and Annabelle will have a microphone roving, so please keep them, um, keep your questions till the end, and um, please will you join me in welcoming Ronnie Van Hout. Thank you, Max. Hello. Woman Juku, everyone. Uh, okay, so uh, I'll just get rid of that one. 
I guess I just wanted to uh, probably just start off by saying uh, I'll just get rid of the amateurism part of the talk, which is to say that I am pretty much an amateur, uh, and, and I guess the UFO uh, phenomena that, or the interest in it is fairly uh, kind of an amateur kind of pursuit as well, you know. Well, I'll probably change it from uh, amateurism to unprofessionalism, I don't know if it means the same thing, but it's, it's a lack of uh, professionalism that you know, you'll see with this talk as well. It just sort of sprawls everywhere. It's you know, it's very it's a very difficult thing to sort of quantify the uh, the whatever the UFO phenomena or, or interest. Uh, it, you can go down so many different paths and so many different ways of looking at it. Uh, so you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to break sort of basically talk about sort of my own personal history and my connection to UFOs and how I've used it in my work as a kind of a reoccurring theme. Uh, you know, so references to that show that I did in Wellington in the 80s called Believing is Seeing, which was uh, kind of was where I sort of saw the UFO phenomena as a kind of an analogy for art practice or art making in the terms of relationship to the world. So, you know, it's, for me it's not really a, a kind of a question about truth or believability or, you know, that it, are there aliens coming to Earth and abducting people? but it's more the interest of how we talk about it and how it's described. And also, it's, it's kind of interesting because uh, it's still considered, I think, for many people as a kind of a bit of a humorous pursuit or humorous or kind of not a serious thing. Well, the people who are involved in uh, the UFO phenomena or interest in it are crazy people, crackpots. And that ha I think there's a particular kind of reason for that, and, um, and, and it sort of defines a particular kind of personality or anyway so I was just going to show this which is So, you know, the observant people amongst us will, will probably know that that is not anything to do with UFOs, but uh, it's a famous film by Todd Browning called Freaks. 
and it's the uh, the end scene. And I, I just I just sort of put that in when I was sort of researching. I kind of re, I was re, reminded of that particular scene, and uh, because I studied films, so I tend to see things from a very filmic way. And I, th I thought it kind of connected because of the way that it's filmed, the way that it's shot, the way that it, it places the viewer in position towards the, uh, the subject. Because what you're seeing there is from two different points of view. So you're seeing the film sort of sets you up to be on the side of the freaks. But in the end, they become the monstrous and they become the destroyers. And they, so what they're basically doing at the end is getting justice for their own position. So they're attacking the people that have done them wrong. So to me, there's a sort of a connection to, with that and the UFO phenomena. Anyway, so I'll just go. Where is my talk? There it is. I haven't even tested. Is that working? How does that work? Oh, where's the full screen? There it is. There. Is that working? That's not working either. What's that? Oh, that one there. That's the one. No? There it is. <clears throat> so, uh, so this is like an early uh, image. This is from my childhood. So there is my father. Uh, he was an alien. And because <laughs> and he is uh, from, another, from another country. So he was uh, a New Zealand, an immigrant to New Zealand. So he had a, he had a, docu a document that, claimed, that actually wrote that he was an alien on it. So I always thought that was quite funny that, uh, that he was classified as an alien, which made me the son of an alien. <laughs> and so uh, this is Christchurch, the 1970s, uh, where they were, a lot of these sort of what were described as UFO houses were sort of, uh, you know, you could go and visit them and have a look at them. So we spent a lot of our childhood uh, in a utopian sort of a euphoria of, uh, you know, suddenly Christchurch was a, we had the Commonwealth Games and it was like the, you know, the future. So this was uh, the future. So we used to visit these. I've watched freak, we've watched freaks. So this is me, the son of an alien. Uh, uh, you know, being just freshly in the in the new world and uh, pre pre you know cognizant. I don't have it. You know, I had a vague memory of this moment, but it, it might not be true. It could be just from looking at this photograph that I have a memory of it, which is part of the UFO concept as well. That you know that you somehow you sort of uh, you you know you add things to your memory. So the memory has a big part to play in it. So as a, this is me as a baby, and then this is me a bit later on, and I think this is probably about the age that I was. That's me up there, not looking at the camera, staring up. This is the Catholic school. And I think about this time, if you were brought up Catholic, you'll understand the stuff you're doing. I think it's just before, I reckon that I'm dressed up because we're doing communion. So the, 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 the girls are in their uh, wedding dresses, whatever. <laughs> they're about to be married to uh, Jesus or something and uh, and you know the whole thing freaked me out basically and uh, <clears throat> because I think we were practicing practicing for this day it's amazingly called communion which is you know, uh, you know a film and a book called communion and <clears throat> And uh, I think the whole concept, and I think there are connections because the, the whole idea of the, the body 
uh, of Christ and the blood of Christ, which you were supposed to, you know, be taking on and taking in, incorporating within your own body, I think basically just really did uh, did not, uh, you know, just couldn't handle it at all. I don't think. <laughs> so I think that's me looking off into the somewhere else. I don't know what's going on, but you know, I'm not paying attention. So about this time, I think I discovered UFOs and. I, was try I tried to find an image of the magazine that I first saw when I was a child, so I would have been about that age, so I'm talking about, so, you know, maybe, I was thinking six or seven, or something like that, maybe eight, and uh, I was uh, walking along the main street in uh, my hometown Christchurch, and there was a magazine shop, and this was a magazine that was on display, and I looked at it from a distance outside the shop, and I went, I must have that magazine. I must have that in my possession. I have to know what's inside that magazine. And so I think I went home, cobbled some money together, and went back and bought that magazine. And uh, I no longer have it because my brother lent it to someone else. And uh, so, the, so to me, there um, and I never got it back. And you know, which is part of my own personal psychology. And I think it's probably connected to the idea of connectedness. And I think for me, it's this idea that I wanted this thing. And I wanted to be connected to it, and I wanted to uh, own it, and uh, and I, you know, I didn't want my brother to lend it to someone. Blah blah blah. But anyway, so within this within this magazine, this is not the particular one, but it's the same image, you know, it's the image of flying saucers. And for me, it was just like the world is suddenly not not at ease, you know, that there are things flying around that we have no control of, and, uh, you know, and this is proof, because I think when you're a child, you still believe that photography is truth, and so this is factual evidence, and, you know, there were images like, I think the, this was an image that was, that I was quite fascinated with, which was uh, uh, an image of a flying saucer landing, and a spaceman coming out, and examining his spaceship, so, I was, I was kind of fascinated with the quality of this image when I was a kid. I was just going, it looks fake. It doesn't look real. There's something odd about the quality of it. And it, I, it sort of stuck with me. And I think, uh, I think it's kind of basically, I think I've tried to recreate it with my own work many times. But, oh, there's a Close Encounters image as well. So there's another image that I probably kind of recreated as well. So, you know, I, I was kind of created all these kind of landscapes with this sort of out of focus foreground and uh, medium ground. So I'm basically recreating that similar image. It's basically because it's a it's a fake photograph of that someone's just photographed a model, and it has all the defects and all the problems of a model, a photograph of a model. There's another one. Here we go. Close encounters of the third kind. Just going to find that. Oh, that one's upside down, anyway. So I've sort of brought together a lot of films that I kind of, oh, how do I get out of this? How do you get out of these things? Exit show. That's the problem with technology, you've got to move around a lot and there are a couple of scenes in Close Encounters. It's, uh, I, you know, it's a, it's a sort of remarkable film about Steven Spielberg. You know, it's, it's the 19, mid-70s. Mid sort of came out about the same time as Star Wars, and it was, uh, you know, it's completely flawed, but it has great moments in it. And uh, I 
find those moments. Work before, I'll just go back to my uh, downloads, documents. Oh, there it goes. So the, the scene that really struck me that I always like about this film is a scene where the main character is obsessing about because he's had an experience with the UFO and they've implanted an image in his head which he obs obsessively making over and over again. Which is leading to the breakdown of his uh, marriage. Great Steven Spielberg, you know, uh, Middle America, suburban life, and uh, you know. So then this is kind of, I think, one of the first films that kind of looked at the UFO phenomena in a, as a kind of, in a serious kind of way, in a certain, to a certain point. It sort, of, it sort of set a model for this idea of, um, of what an alien encounter could be like. And it's all about this sort of disruption of, of, um, of the suburban lifestyle and uh, the idea of, and also of the interior, of his of interior. It's, it's what, what's, what's happening to it is becoming incredibly abject. He's just chucking rubbish into his house without any concern. You know, he's obsessing, throwing dirt into his house. So eventually... What is wrong with me today? Who is it, please? It's the mailman. Do you know this film? You can just he's like, he's being an artist door. in some ways, in many ways. In fact, it's, they're, they're all becoming artists. I'm supposed to see OD, mm -hmm. like that. And besides, you and I have to have a little talk about Kim. Good evening. At the top of the news tonight, a rail disaster. 
At Devil's Tower, Wyoming, a train loaded with a dangerous chemical gas went off the rails and has forced the widest area evacuation in the history of these controversial army rail shipments. Whenever you want me to. Much of the surrounding area has been closed to the public for three weeks for renovations in the National Park there. We go now to Colorado in Wyoming for a live report. Yes, I am. The Army and National Guard units are supervising the evacuation. It's I estimated that from 35 to 50,000 people are affected. No the families have been assured that the danger will be over within 72 hours. We've seen Ronnie, the Army here, the Corps of Engineers, want. and the Chemical Engineers. Anything you want, I do. For how long? No, Ronnie, I want to talk about this in person. This is not, we can't talk about this on the telephone. All right, Ronnie, what? Don't hang up, just don't. First national monument erected in this country by Theodore Roosevelt in 1915. Thousands of civilian refugees are fleeing the area. Then someone else who's having the same experience. She's making art as well. We're filled to capacity with GM nerve gas. In just a few minutes, we're going to be by annual surge of close to 400,000 vacationers. And fortunately, during this mishap, there have been no fatalities. Forced to evacuate. Falls apart. It becomes nonsense. Einstein was. Einstein was right. Einstein was probably one of them. Erickson. I always kind of liked him because he uh, he, he he hired Francois Truffaut. He was a French New Wave filmmaker to act in the film. In France, Francois Truffaut said yes, which is uh, I always think kind of a, like a weird sort of uh, side issue in terms of the idea of um, that Steven Spielberg would have been influenced by Francois Truffaut, who was a f- uh, part of the French New Wave. Was it was it their, their cinema was an acknowledgement of a, of the influence of America on on European cinema, yet here, here he comes back to be fully integrated in mainstream American cinema as a kind of like an acknowledgement of his, it's, it's a sort of double reference, but it's talking about a new world. The new world has shifted from uh, Europe as being the centre of culture to, to now it's America is, this, is the centre of culture with all of the, uh, whatever, the changes or difficulties or whatever problems that that, 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 that implies. So there's a, there he is, Francois Truffaut. Kids coming out of spaceships. I saw you going up in the air. Did you see me go? And here they come, because you, because most UFO films, it's all about seeing the aliens. That's the, that's the, the money shot. It's kind of, we wait for a whole long film until finally, here they come. And what is that thing? I think this is the Steven Spielberg special edit, so he keeps everything in there. So he kept that alien in there, and it's kind of wrong, and it doesn't work. And uh, but he still keeps it in because suddenly you get this stuff happening. Look, here it is. 
That's abject. That thing. That's like a boo with legs. And this, but the, so this is it's not explained what this is. You got this all. He's actually a lovely guy, and uh, he's welcoming us because that's a, that is the universal symbol of you know because they all understand. We all understand. They all understand that. And then you get this. Lots of little kids dressed up as aliens. And why are they why are they children? Mr. Neary, I'm told that we can count on your complete cooperation. What type of blood do you have? I don't have the slightest idea. What is your date of birth? Uh, December 4th, 1944. Have you been inoculated against smallpox, diphtheria? Is there any history of liver disease in your family? Just moving along. Is that the same alien as before? But he, he you know, he sort of set, he sort of set the scene or the set the tone, a kind of a tone, a way that uh, that Hollywood would could, would suddenly talk about uh, the idea of the alien. And he has a very optimistic kind of uh, take on the idea of you know visitations that they're actually here for very good reasons, and they're you know they just want to be friends, even though they've just been creating chaos in suburbia, this guy's marriage is broken up. They're not concerned about that. They're not... <laughs> they, don't know, they don't know humans or people very well. So I don't know how they're gonna, you know, how he's gonna go. Because Richard, Dr oh, there's Michael Jackson. He gets taken up in the spaceship and flies away for them forever. And apparently, you never you never die, you never age, and when you're in outer space, because that's a part of the film. Then he went on to make. He sort of crapped out after this, I think. Schindler's List. I do have another spoon, but, uh, but I think um, I, was, I was reading the other uh, just the other day that um, Steve McQueen, the 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 English artist, uh, he based his film Twelve Years of Slavery on um, on this particular film. So he he kind of modelled it as a way of sort of talking about um, slavery as a form of abduction, which is kind of an interesting idea as well. Where am I going with that? You know, and the fact that we probably, we live in a uh, culture of abduction as well within Australia. We have, you know, several, several examples of, uh, you know, abduction as a kind of a form of, um, whatever, colonising people. So abduction in itself is this, has, this, has other kinds of ideas as well. Now, going back. That's gone. It's all gone. So I'm still in my childhood, so, uh, so I'm, I'm going, it's going to take too long here. Yeah. Building Mountain ending. So you can put the times there. So in 1979, a, a, big, a big event happened in New Zealand when I was, uh, you know, uh, which was called the Kaikoura UFO incident. It's a very famous, it was an Australian film crew 
came over to just make a documentary about some UFO sightings that were uh, that had happened, and so they went. They were just going to make a documentary about it. They went up and they went up on the plane and uh, shot some footage of the the UFO or the lights in the sky, and um, and it's. And there was also like radar tracking, and it's considered one of the best cases of uh, of UFO of you know of, of actually something being recorded. There was something there. What was it? And uh, these these books made about it, written about it. You know, that's the image of the UFO. That's the image of it uh, of it being captured on film. That's a kind of a you know the best they've got, really, in some ways. I couldn't tell you what that was. <clears throat> Some friends of mine at school who lived, who came from that area, told me that they had witnessed the lights themselves, and uh, they said it was pretty weird. So uh, you know, it was a pretty weird time as well. I think there was a lot of kind of uh, changes going on in society. There was the Cold War was still going on. You know, I think there was a lot of. Uh, I mean, I remember there was like you know people into Nostradamus and predictions of the future and all that sort of stuff was kind of in the air, you know, and I think uh, the Kaikoura UFO, in, you know, phenomena was, just seemed to be a part of the, the natural, uh, you know, state of the world, you know, suddenly we're not in control of anything and, uh, you know, if UFOs kind of, you know, basically tell us we're not in control of anything. And when you read the accounts of the of the people who were experiencing it, it, it's, it sort of changes because they were they were adamant that something was scanning them. Was there were lights in the inside the plane itself that they couldn't explain? There were lots of things going on because, for example, there is this is a year before famous case of a Australian pilot flying between Melbourne and uh, Tasmania who. Uh, <coughs> You know, who apparently he crashed his plane, his body was never found, and um, he probably came out of the spaceship at the with Steven Spielberg. So it's Valentich, and uh, he there's like uh, cockpit recordings of him talking to the air traffic controller, going, uh, "Are there any aircraft in the area?" No, oh, no, we've got nothing in the area. And he said, "There's something following me. There's something above me. It's not a, oh, it's not a plane. It's a." <laughs> so these these two cases taken together were, were were sort of had a lot of weight. So there was so so even in the uh, so there's the newspaper clipping. UF, UK was not not moved by UFOs. Obviously, and a UFO film gives father hope. So experts are not moved, but father is given hope. So you know, he so he it gave him hope that maybe his son was still alive and he was out there somewhere, you know, um, enjoying a pleasant experience with um, the brothers from outer space. Anyway, so I do have a lot of clippings. I think there's one here from the time. So I was, I was kind of, I always collected stuff. So you know, there's the Christchurch Star, UFO on film, patrol plane to search Kaikoura skies, you know, and visitor stabbed at bikers party, <laughs> as well. Cool. So you know, there was a lot of stuff going on at the time. So. Um, 
activity, eh? So, and at that, about that time, I was just leaving high school, I was kind of got, got, got involved in the music scene, so I used to make posters for bands, so one of my things that I always do is I'd add a little flying saucer, so, you know, there'd be earthly matters going on, and it just always, this would be my, one of my thematic sort of poster things, you know, there's always a flying saucer happening in the background. So it's a, you know, like a poster for a band, pink group go to town. We, you know, we're, we're, we're flying around in a flying saucer. There's a record cover. And at the back of a record cover. So, you know, so basically, it's, and also I think, I, think that's a, I think there's a sort of a change in the way that people were making things or thinking about imagery at, this, at that time. And I think there was a slight, there's sort of a change in terms of this idea that I think, in some ways you'd sort of consider this all sort of pop and kind of, uh, you know, uh, sort of B-grade interest, you know. And, but well, the idea was, I think the idea that it was low culture compared to high culture. So, you know, as an artist, you wouldn't, you wouldn't concern yourself with sort of ideas, you know, a UFO. They're not really serious ideas, you know. You're supposed to you're supposed to mature, grow up, and be more and be interested in sort of, uh, you know, more mainstream ideas or adult ideas. And I think, but th at this time, uh, I there was I think there was a sense that uh, because there was a sense that no one was in charge, that you really just could do whatever you like. So it was kind of like the idea that uh, you know I never sort of perceived that there was anything as high or low culture. This was just things I was interested in. You basically only made them for the other your other friends. So example, you know the band would got me to do the posters, got me to do you know do this record cover, and you just do whatever you want because you know so you just do your, what you're interested in. And it, and it sort of had a kind of a relationship to the kind of the music scene or other, other scenes that were going on. So UFOs kind of were, and sort of embraced like a lot of other things that, the, you know, sort of, you know, other concerns in some ways. And it, it's kind of signifying a kind of a change. It's sort of, you know, in Christchurch, it's, you're sort of becoming postmodern in that sense where, you, where there's no sort of, the values attached to images or, um, or sort of artistic making or art making uh, was sort of dissolving. That's how I felt about it anyway. You know, I thought, you know, it's the old idea. I think that you can just kind of do whatever you want. You know, you can invest in, you know, you can, I could do an abstract painting. In the, you know, I think it's Kurt Schwitter said it. Make an abstract painting in the morning and make a figurative painting in the afternoon, and you, you can just do it. So at about, I think about that time, I think uh, a friend and I went and saw this Russian film called Come and See. I think, I think I'd kind of given up a bit on the, uh, I don't know how to get out of this thing again. I've got no good at this. Is that thing, oh, exit show. Let me just go back to that. Uh, I've got a lot of films there, um, obviously. I don't even know this film. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a Russian war film. Go down to DLC, the open source. So in some ways, these are uh, th this was this was an image that 
that stimulated. It's in Russian, so. Even this kind of uh, this, this, this talk of the authoritative figure who is, you know, it's like you don't, you don't really, you don't, it's not really clear what's going on. You don't know, you know who, he's, who he's referring to. So you've got the child again who. Um, and even that sky reminds me of Christchurch. If you, if you, if you know, Christchurch is a, it's a place with a big sky. So basically, they're 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 at an old battleground and they're hunting for weapons. So they're they're digging up an old, at an old battleground to find guns so they can join the fight. This is the scene that uh, it got me. It just re-stimulated my interest. It's the same. It's the same image again. And also, like the Freaks film, it changes perspective. So you're from what you're from. You, it, it gives you both perspectives. So you get the the, the, the the scene from the the plane, and you also get the scene from the boy's point of view. Which is really only what you know what film can do. In some ways, there's a kind of a cinematic kind of change in the way that we see the world. That's that I think allows for the the UFO phenomena to sort of flourish. Certainly. 
So I saw that image and of the plane flying over, the boys staring at it and the plane staring back at them. How do we get over that? As a particularly UFO image. And, and, and it, to me, but also it's maybe just an image that, that I find kind of fascinating. It's the idea of, um, of, that, of the lack of connection. It's me looking up at the UFO magazine in the shop and the idea that it's this thing that's kind of above me because in the way that the magazine was positioned in the shop was on a top shelf. And it was the idea of me looking up at something and this thing could it, observing me back in some ways. There's a kind of, uh, this kind of relationship that's existing between uh, two objects and there's a kind of a gap between them and it's this, this sort of, you know, this power, this kind of power dynamic in some ways, who, you know, who's affecting what. So and I, that, and that kind of made, just that, got me back into thinking about what the, um, what the UFO uh, kind of meant for me. So, um, so I did, so, oh, So in the so in the mid the mid mid eighties eighty seven or something like this I'd had a couple of shows already paint, kind of painting shows I'd left art school as a study as a filmmaker so I you know a kind of a failed filmmaker so a failed filmmaker does what he can and uh, makes makes paintings whatever and uh, so I sort of I sort of wanted to explore uh, the my understanding of the of the UFO phenomena in terms of. Uh, this idea of uh, of seeing things, you know, that's how I sort of saw it at the time. The idea that people see things and what they see, they kind of make it. It's sort of because they want to see it and they need to see it, or you know, it's it's, it's the way that the mind works. So I was kind of getting interested in that idea that the um, that uh, what what's inside you allows you to see certain things. So I kind of just explored it in general terms, and this is you know way before. Um, X-Files or anything like that. It was, uh, you know, it was still very crackpot and it, it was not, and the, the imagery that we have now is not, it didn't really exist, you know. It's, so the, even the grey aliens weren't particularly, that sort of symbol that we have now, that we understand as the alien, didn't really exist. And I remember that I, when I was making the show and I was kind of photocopying uh, all the pictures, uh, you know, and basically the only source at that time was going to the library and getting books out and photocopying them and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, so you sort of, or, you know, I had my own collection of material, and, um, and I remember I was like, uh, I was kind of hiding it, and I was kind of embarrassed. I thought, oh, people are just going to think I'm, you know, a nut, you know, and all that, they're going to kind of just dismiss me in a certain way. And I remember, you know, that was my biggest fear, and I was at the, the next to the studio, there was like a photocopy shop, and I was in there kind of hiding, you know, blocking, blocking the photocopy with my body, and going, and then the guy went, what are you doing there? And looked over and went, oh, you know, we used to see these all the time in the 70s. And uh, so he was, he was, it was a completely different response. He's going, oh, you know, this is kind of, these are sort of things that happened all the time. We used to see them all the time and blah, 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 blah. Which I don't know why, but they did. And uh, apparently there was a good batch of, um, oh, I've gone back, LSD that went through New Zealand at that time as well. I don't know if it was connected. Lost touch with my talk. There we go. So I kind of made these really large paintings. I sort of purposely did them. Uh, they're like two panel paintings. It's the idea that kind of things are sort of split as well. That you know, and I had this. I sort of you know, I sort of broke into the little things of people collecting evidence, and there's always like a 
the ubiquitous flying saucer over the top. Here's a guy drawing a picture of what he, what he experienced. There's like a soybean field with, uh, you know, crop, this is like pre-crop circles, I think, just leaving some evidence behind. And I, I kind of worked out also that, um, that, you know, as a painter, I kind of liked just painting dots and it was uh, much more relaxing. And, and also, another thing I did at this time was I think I, I had myself hypnotized because hypnotism is a big part of the, you know, this idea that you have recovered, me that there are recovered re memories or that you have memories that you can't really access because your conscious mind doesn't let you access them. So I thought, uh, I just wanted to remember a dream I had when I was a kid. So I went, and went to a hypnotist and went, oh, can I, you know, can you help me remember a dream? So, you know, put me into the hypnotic state, whatever. And uh, I didn't remember the dream, but I think for the weeks that I was painting this show, I just had flashes. So even, even the thing that I was trying to remember came back to me very strongly. And I started having other memories that I connected to other events of, from my childhood that I'd completely forgotten about, you know, which I sort of, which is it was, it's quite, it's quite a nice thing because they sort of come back quite clearly in a way that it's not like a dream, you know, it's, or like a memory. It's kind of like they're right there. So I was painting, I was getting all these nice flashes of sort of, um, or maybe not nice, but uh, <laughs> just flashes of memory. So, um, cow mutilations. Don't, they don't seem to happen anymore. I don't think they're, they're, they were sort of a thing. I think things have evolved, have moved on, you know. So there's Loni Zamora, famous cop who had a UFO experience. Another thing is that if a cop sees a UFO, you know it's true. Because, uh, you know, the, it, the, there's always a kind of an idea of the expert. There's, an ex, there's a sort of an idea of the scientist, the science of the UFO as well, that if you can prove something. There's Howard Menger, who, uh, you know, he actually married an, a Venusian as well. He recorded music that was taught to him by people from Saturn. He's tra traveled, um, you know, and he's holding his perpetual motion machine. He traveled the galaxy, you know, the, not the galaxy, the solar system, meeting uh, aliens. And, uh, and this is from a period in the 1950s when uh, the, the, the message, there was always a message that aliens are always, even though they're abducting people, the message was, You've, we've got to stop doing what we're doing to the planet, you know, which is interesting now because that's actually, you know, what would have been a crackpot idea Suddenly, it's kind of like, you know, that's what we, we think about all the time now. And, uh, you know, so, and also the idea of, um, of genetics, that they were, you know, that they were playing with our DNA and they were gathering our DNA to create uh, hybrids, whatever. So there's scar tissue. There's, you know, another scar. This is all sort of proof, proof, you know. At a time when I think when uh, you could, you know, there was, that proof was kind of not proof at all. It was the opposite in some ways. You couldn't prove anything. You could, everything was just about the observer and their position and their relationship to other people. <clears throat> you know, even though the, it's, it's, this is all about finding proof. And there, you know, is the ubiquitous alien greys coming to get you, whatever.
Oh, and there's the review for the show as well. Thought I'd include that. Ronnie Van Hout is back at Southern Cross <laughs> with another large series of large paintings. Don't doubt it, this young artist is a worker. <laughs> so that's the best. Uh, one impressive aspect of the present moment. I think it's fairly positive. <laughs> But, you know, I was a young artist then, and, uh, you know, so, you know. Functions are much more personal level. Yeah, anyway. <clears throat> I think there was another review, because in those days you got a lot of reviews. It was like two, re two newspapers, both newspapers reviewed that show, and one of them avoided talking about UFOs completely and just talked about the dots and the technique and... Uh, or, and how it kind of connected to uh, the history of art. And, uh, <coughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, but this is a... Uh, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, there's so many things you can talk about because you can talk about the, you know, the idea of the, of the UFO as well because I think it's the thing, it's, it's, I think it becomes much more about, you know, the idea of abduction and the idea of, 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 of that experience of the close encounter of the fourth kind where you were sort of taken up by a ship and, uh, the, yeah, and the stories that people tell, which uh, seem to have a kind of a common narrative to, to them. And, um, and, and, and I, I was kind of fascinated with it in some ways because a lot, of the, a lot of the stories that people tell about what happened to them are things that we all, I think, all have in common, you know. A lot of them you can put down to that idea of sleep, sleep paralysis, which is where you wake up, you know, but you, you, think, you're awake, you think you've woken up in your bed but you feel like there's someone in your room and they're holding you down. It's, well, it's, you know, it's called, the, it was used to be called the, was it the black hag or something? You know, it's quite a well-known phenomenon, but you feel like you're awake, but you're not. And you, feel, you can see yourself in your room, you see everything, but you feel like someone's, something's pressing down and you can't move. So a lot of, I think a lot of people kind of, uh, you know, just add, 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 add the story that there is something getting them they don't know. They don't necessarily explain it as aliens or whatever, but they, there's something definitely doing it to them, and you know that. And, and I think there's a certain sort of selfishness to that, or a sort of a, a you know, um, like a childish kind of fantasy that we all had. I think as a child that uh, that somehow our lives, are the, you know, are much better than they really are. That you know that maybe the aliens have actually chosen us because they, you know, abductees call themselves the chosen ones. They have been chosen. And to be someone who's chosen puts you out of the, you know, you're not, you know, there's something special about you and also that you could possibly have a better life somewhere else if you get, you know, I don't know, you know. So I think I sort of equate it to that same sort of fantasy that you have of your parents being much better than they really are, you know, in some ways that your life somehow will... Uh, you know, the, the, the reality of, the li of your life that you're living will suddenly sort of dissolve and you'll open a secret door in your house or something or, you'll, you know, you'll turn up one day and your parents are billionaires or, you know, you live a glamorous, you know, a different lifestyle than you're leading now. So, you know. But this is Travis, Travis Walton. He's a famous abductee. They made a film about it. There's a book about it. There he is, Arizona man captured by UFO. So him and his friends were cutting timber in, a, in the woods. They saw a flying saucer, 
Travis, being a very much more creative type of person, got out of the car and tried to communicate with them and was shot by a beam of light and knocked to the ground. Oop, here it goes. And now it's gone. <laughs> he, uh, he now claims that uh, he was killed by that beam of light and that the aliens took him. Oh, there it is. I think it's that there. There it is. Where's it gone? It's all not working for me now. It's not moving. How does that work? I'll try again. There we go. Incredible account of one man's abduction by a UFO. Anyway, so Travis, I'll show that there's a there's a there was a film made by it, and uh, which is quite interesting. Well, I find it interesting. Again, back to this is very unprofessional. Of course, here we go. Fire in the sky. It's called. He was, he was found days later uh, naked at a service station with no memory of what had happened to him. <laughs> all his friends, uh, you know, all a group, you know. Moving ahead. So you, you, wait, you wait till the end, right till the end of the movie. No one believes him. Here he goes. He's just had a terrible experience with his breakfast and uh, some, and some, some, some the honey or something or the maple syrups dripped onto his into his mouth and it, it makes him remember his experience. So he, this is him, he's woken up in this ship. You've got to remember, it's a film, it's a Hollywood version. He did, did not like this film. He didn't like the way that he said it was nothing like this. <laughs> but, you know, it probably wasn't. He describes this, because this is, uh, it's incredibly, this, it's, it's, I think it's quite well done. It's sort of artistic license, because basically what the filmmaker's understanding is that if they showed it the way that he described it, you would not get the... Um, the understanding of the experience that he, that he claims to have had. So it's very bodily and it's very, you know, it's, this is like he's being reborn or something like that. He's, you know. And he's, there's lots of goo and lots of slime and, um, you know, there's a whole theory about slime. Foucault, I think, or I don't know, someone, Deleuze wrote about it as well. Because he, he claims it was just like a, the classic, uh, <clears throat> you know, white modernist space with, uh, you know, with clear, it was very clean. 
no particular smell, just, you know, like a hospital or something like that. And, it, you know. But I think what the filmmaker is doing is saying that the experience itself is actually an, an, an abject experience because what's happening to him is that, uh, you know, And there's so many things that are like dreamlike as well, like the idea of weightlessness. There's all these common things. I don't remember the, um, was it doorway amnesia? Just a blue-collar worker. He didn't ask for this.
Here it comes. This is not the Steven Spielberg alien. This is the other sort. It's, it's an artistic license, but it's, it's, it's very effective. I think it's quite effective in terms of, you know. That doesn't look good. Anyway, I'll just stop it there. <laughs> we were not. I think that I know. I know what that one is. You can tell what that one is. So there's always these uh, the idea of these examinations that go on, and uh, you know what they're up to. You know, there's always talk about uh, you know uh, genetics. But, the, but then some people say that that is probably just a, um, just part of the play, part of their act, their job. You know that they they create this illusion that they're that they're that they're about something, but they're not really about anything. They're just playing with us because uh, you know they just they just don't care about us at all. <laughs> something to do on the weekend, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, we have to move along. There's so much more. Because <coughs> I was going to go to Barney and Betty Hill, but I'm, I don't know about that. I don't know sure. that Barney and Betty Hill, this, this is going back now. This is 1961. So Barney and Betty Hill were the original uh, abductees in some ways. So it's Barney and Betty Hill, mixed race couple. Who, oh, I, think, uh, God, I think we're experiencing a lot of anxiety because of their relationship, apparently. So, they, so particularly uh, Barney, who's a very nervous man, and uh, he, uh, I think... He always, he always felt his, uh, his, 
threats by other people. So when he, when he uh, they have an experience on a motor on a highway. It's called. It's the book here. The interrupted journey. And uh, and and uh, they had. Um, so eventually they had like they couldn't. They had really lots of trouble. Uh, Barney was like couldn't sleep. Neither of them would breathe. You know something had happened, but they they didn't want to admit it. So they someone suggested they do hypnosis, and then under hypnosis they recounted, uh, you know, being abducted by aliens and uh, also being um, uh, probed, you know, quite a lot. <laughs> and um, Barney didn't really want to. He didn't want to know about it. Basically, and but I think you know they're such a sweet couple. That's the thing that people are like them when you when you because it's actually all of the all of the recordings of all of the uh, interviews are all on uh, you know YouTube. So you can actually listen. So you can, there's a film made with uh, James Earl Jones playing the part of Barney. It's a it's a really good film, and uh, it was a TV film. I want to show that. Well, no, I would have to show any more of that, but um, and uh, which is just about their hypno, hypno, hypnosis sort of. Um, Sessions with the doctor, and it, but it's kind of interesting because I think this idea again is that people believe that you know hypnosis is somehow getting closer to the truth. That somehow reveals it's like a light, like people believing a lie detector will tell you that you know it's, it's if you pass a lie detector, then um, you know you must be telling the truth. You know it's not 100% clear, and, it, and it's very clear if you've ever been hypnotized that you realize it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. It's not. It's not. Uh, there's no, there's no part of your brain where all your memories are stored, unedited and, you know, un, you know whatever, just like you're just watching a movie and it just comes out. That does, that's not how it works, you know. So there's a lot of your, a lot of suggestion, a lot of, um, for example, Barney first sees, he, what he sees are kind of tough guys that are going to, uh, that he thinks are going to rob him or beat him up. So, and then it, then it kind of gradually becomes they become these aliens or whatever, these creatures. So that, that was sort of like the famous incident and also set up this idea of hypnosis in relation to, to the idea of being abducted. You know, and Betty kind of became a total believer and she started seeing things all the time, things happened to her all the time, you know, she sort of, it sort of became her life. The UFO incident, worth checking out. Anyway, so I've just done, I've done sort of numerous shows over the years where I've sort of touched on, used, used the idea of, uh, of the UFO as, as just a sort of an added layer of, you know. So there's a show called I'm OK, I think I've got Brewster, where I sort of used so certain imagery, imagery, even the idea of the body sort of being probed or, um, you know, somehow sort of dissected and there's a spacesuit I made not really but it is a spacesuit that I sewed learning how to sew and there's some some woolen pictures that I, I actually got someone to knit for me so they're uh, UFO stories and it, it, to me it's just the idea of a kind of this sort of relationship to materials or relationship to, to and, and I, when I mean materials, I mean like, uh, like information and stuff that's out there. So, um, so I like the idea of, the, uh, of kind of, uh, of, of sort of filling in time by making something and things like knitting and they're kind of like, they can be just time fillers and things to do. 
all you do. So, you know, and, you know, art could be a bit like that as well. You know, I, so I did my embroidery. So, you know, other, I think it could be Barney and Betty. And there's always, a, there's always this image in the, in the UFO abduction experience, which always starts off with the, the meeting with a friendly animal. And I was kind of remembering this dream or thing that I, re that I thought was a true event. That it's, and a lot of the UFO stories are like that. It's like you go, oh, that happened, but then you go, actually, it can't have happened because it doesn't make any sense. You know, where I think I went, it's like I was going hunting with my father and his brother. It's like they actually never went hunting, so it was, you know, it's like it, it was flawed from the start. And and that um, and that they went into the woods or something, and then um, I, they, I stayed by the car, and and then there was like a deer appeared, and did that thing where it looks at you, and in and that's a very common, apparently common uh, abduction memory. So they replace the, the terrible events with a pleasant event and often it's about the meeting, meeting of, an, of a friendly animal that you look into their eyes and they look back at you and there's a kind of a shared you know, intelligence. And that image gets used a lot in films and stuff. That The deer hunter, if you know that film, he's about to shoot the deer and the deer looks at him and you know, he for some reason doesn't shoot the deer. And underneath is a, and so I, and I collected a whole lot of um, UFO stories that occurred on my birth date, you know, so, so it's always uh, February 22nd, so all these years, so that, you know, and I, I kind of, I've used that a lot before because it's like, because I think when you use your birthday, it's like a day you can kind of remember, you know, because you sort of do, it's about you that day, so you kind of did something special, maybe, and you can, so you kind of remember it, you know. You, or I could, you, you have more chance of remembering that mo that day. So that while, say, while I was, uh, you know, um, maybe drinking too much somewhere, uh, Maureen Putty, which is that story there, was having a close encounter with uh, a flying saucer in Melbourne, just across the ditch. She's a fa famous... Um, in fact, that's her car there being... Uh, being buzzed, and it's her. That's the real Maureen there, being with Nick standing next to her car in uh, in I don't know, I don't know, I can't remember where it is, Gippsland somewhere. There's a lot of there's a lot of famous Melbourne UFO experiences, and um, so I think I think I kind of reconnect uh, with the idea of uh, I started sort of being interested in memory and recall, and I think from that recalling of uh, when I did the hypnosis one, I, I recalled a memory of being um, woken up in the middle of the night, and uh, and being and, and feeling like I had to go and look out the window, and it would have I just would have been a child going, I've never been up in the middle of the night, what's it like? And it looks and it looks different because you know it's like the lights a bit. It was kind of like one of those bright nights with a bright moon, and I went, oh, I'm you know, there's a reason I've been you know I've been woken up, you know. Because I would have thought, I thought there's a reason why I've been woken up, and I'm going to go and investigate. So I went and looked out the window, and there was like a car in the in the driveway of the uh, of the poultry farm that we had. And the next day, the the, the poultry farm had been burgled; that someone had 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 broken in and stolen some chickens. So, and I remember the police turned up the next day, and. So it was that same, but maybe it wasn't even the same night, but I've connected those two things together so they're forever, you know. I was probably woken up by their 
by the bad guys. And I remember seeing the, a car in the driveway that was unknown anyway. So I was, I was kind of exploring that idea. So, so it sort of becomes kind of to me about me, you know, this idea of remembering things and where memories lie. So, you know, there I am sleeping in my bed. And then I sort of did a, and I kind of like that, I like that sort of hypnotic trance idea as well, that idea that, we, when, that voice that people have when they're in, a, when they're in that state, you know, where you, you're sort of half awake, half asleep, and you're sleepy, and, um, and then you kind of, you sort of recount things in a certain way. It's sort of un, a bit unfiltered, it's a bit, you know, surreal or something. So I'm just kind of recounting the video projection, I'm just recounting that dream that I'm having, or this, or this idea of being woken up in the middle of the night and being drawn to something. And that was the room. So that's the bedroom where it all happened. So as a child. There's the farm. There's my dad again. It's the poultry farm, and that's the, oh, the, oh, that's the window kind of from the other side, uh, from the outside. I just did, and I recreated that room again, you know, sort of endless repetition and endless returning to the moments of uh, whatever, of nothingness. I think this is what the show was kind of like about returning to something and really nothing really happens, you know, it's just... Uh, you know, it wasn't, there's no big incidents, there's no, uh, so I'm just, I'm just, you know, it's this relentless return to the same room. So here again is that house, the same house, there's my bedroom, and there's, so I made it, it's like a, the idea of the, um, you know, of the experiences of childhood or the experiences of life and what they sort of make you into. Do they, do they, you know, how does it affect who I am now. That's me at school. And there is the, you know, the constant, the constant UFO observing me. So there's a camera in there and it's kind of filming the, filming things from above. It's like they're being observed and, uh, and, being the, the observed. I'm moving along quickly now. Back to uh, communion. I was just going to show some video from that. This is a great film by uh, a Melbourne filmmaker, Philippe Mora, the Merkel Mora's son. He's a good filmmaker. Now that's on the DVD. So it's, it's a true story based, uh, written by uh, Whitley Stryber, who's a kind of a frustrated writer who starts having some weird experiences. Christopher Walken. He's a kind of, a, he's an affected kind of writer, he's, but you know, he's, he wears a hat. It's quite dandyish, isn't it? He's got a video camera. Do you know where some video? 
that 80s music, whatever 90s was on the I don't think it's an 80s movie, I think. So he is returning to the scene. He wants to know what happened to him. So he enters his house or goes into the light. So there's all these like weird sort of, uh, you know, you have these ideas of purity, like light and uh, the spaceship, which is this sort of perfectly designed object that's round, it's technological, but the interiors of the spaceships are completely different. The film does a great job in terms of that it sort of, it's, it sort of says it's hallucinatory. It's not that this is just an ex, a memory. This could be just a memory or way that he's thinking about things. So they, they don't. He, the, the director, yeah, Philip Philippe, doesn't doesn't say he, he doesn't say this has really happened. He's sort of saying I must be awake. This is how it's described. It could be hallucination. So he, you know, he doesn't doesn't really um, say that there are aliens abducting him. Says the cook, though. I'll say a few things. First, I'd like to say season's greetings. Then I'd like to say, keep your hands on the table at all times. Huh? Boom. Oh. I don't want to go home. Please let me go. That's 
Wasn't that it? I didn't come all this way for you to tell me that that's what it is. Is there something under that? Because I don't believe that one. It's like a box, a Chinese box. You open it, there's another one inside, there's another one inside, there's another one inside. You're not gonna let me see you, are you? It is a Chinese box. And you're not gonna be allowed to see. Okay? So just get that clear. You are not gonna let us see you. That's a good idea. Here's another great scene. sitting at home tonight watching the honeymooners. Right? Ralph and Alice, like us, that's why they picked on me. You know what I think? What? I don't think it matters. Whatever it is, they know us by way of television and things like that. If, if we're talking about light years, tonight they're watching the first episode of Father Knows Best. It'd be narcissistic of us to feel alone in the universe. People used to think that, that the world was flat. You know, it's a center of things. That excludes the possibility of, of visitors. It's really another kind of, uh, of the same kind of thinking. The world is getting so small that it would be nice to meet someone new. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know what you saw. What does it matter? It doesn't matter. It's just God. You saw something extraordinary. There are many faces of God. Masks of God. Our history is a response to their presence. They might be what the face of evolution looks like on a response to a conscious mind. You know something? It frightened me. Because you went so far away. But you're back. You're different. I think they gave you something. I do. I think they gave you a gift. You better use it. You got it tomorrow. Look what I've got for you, Mandarin pressed duck, a beautiful bar. It's good. Yeah, no, I think those scenes are quite weird, like in terms of they, they suddenly he's giving like an art lecture in front of a Jackson Pollock, and it's... How long, how long, how long, how long, how long do I go for? A couple of more minutes. There's Whitley Stryber. He now, now, uh, now kind of refutes a lot of the stuff that was in his books. He went on to write this book, Communion, A True Story, and it was a bestseller for him, and he did really well out of it. And, uh, he, uh, and there's a whole group of sort of uh, a, a New York um, abstract expressionists, and I think that's why those paintings are in there, who uh, Bud Hopkins is quite a, quite a semi-well-known uh, abstract expressionist painter who uh, is a real leader in 
in, the, in hypnotizing people. So and I think he, he was sort of worked with Whitley on this book, and I think um, maybe that's why the paintings are there. Anyways, just go quickly on. So I kind of, you know, I sort of, so I just sort of move through ideas of kind of the idea of, of uh, also when you're remembering things, it's the idea is also, there's also the idea of forgetting things as well that, you, you know, that, uh, that they can sort of go part and parcel to get, you know, there's sort of two sides of each, the other coins. And there was the L's and uh, so I, there was a kind of a, so the L's were another animal that I think that, I, and the, that apparently the uh, Whitley Stryber character describes, and there's a few, there's a few that I've read where they say, oh, there was an owl in my room. How did the, you know, did you see the owl? The owl, how did the owl get into my room? And it was sitting in the, you know, sitting at the end of my bed, just staring at me. And, uh, you know, that's like another, another one of those friendly animals, but kind of intelligent animals as well. So, you know, that's, that's, that's just there as well. And this, this show I had in Berlin was, just, was really just all about this idea of remembering things and, re and how, how your memories are quite shoddy and uh, don't really work. And because I'd kind of conf conflated a lot of um, ideas together that I, re that I thought I was remembering clearly, but then I realized, well, I, I think I asked my mother to confirm whether these things had happened as a child, and she said they did not happen. And uh, there's no, you know, that never happened at all. And I kind of, you know, I, you know, as soon as she said, I went, oh, you're right. Yeah, that did, couldn't have happened. It's stupid. You know, or like, and then you sort of like, so suddenly there's something that you'd had as a memory was completely gone. You know, it was replaced with a, uh, a, you know, as I always say, it's got like a little cross next to it going, not a memory, just a fantasy, you know, something made up. Oh, there's this one here. Uh, so, and I think this is a show that Mark, Mark curated where I, I think after, after I was in Berlin and I was... Um, I was kind of uh, getting into sort of sort of rereading some sci-fi stories as well, and um, and I, I, I sort of had this I sort of wanted this idea of kind of fictionalized um, how you could sort of create overlays of fiction on just images. So you just you just have a picture of some, or an image of something, and then you just overlay a kind of a soundtrack, and it become it sort of affects what you're looking at. So this one I just like it was in a, a room at what's it was it the what's it called the Carlton. Carlton, and, uh, and I had this kind of like story that I was working on um, uh, about uh, how the aliens invade Earth, and, the, and the, what they do is that they seed the atmosphere uh, with hallucinogenic, or, uh, or things that break down your will, so that basically people can no longer function, and, you know, I weirdly read a book at the, uh, after I'd come up with this idea that was ex had exactly the same plot, except it wasn't aliens, it was Arabs, or something that was written in the 60s. So this idea, also the idea of, I think at the time, uh, and I was going to call it melancholia, but I think uh, Lars von Trier did a film uh, called that as well, which kind of had, had kind of connections, not that this is a film, but it was like uh, this idea of the end of the world. This is how the world ends, you know. It doesn't end, it's that kind of whimper, not the whimper, but it's like it ends because, you know, we've, we've, you know, we're flawed and uh, we don't, you know, it's, we can, our, it's our minds that are, you know, easy to break down or something. So there was a sort of this plot about how the uh, the aliens have just been flying around the atmosphere, uh, seeding it with some sort of drug that uh, breaks down everyone's ability to um, 
socialise or be able to live with other people, and that's always sort of you know that they can no longer function with other people, and so that that sort of part of our brain that enables us to be with other people disappears, and we can no longer um, there living. So that was kind of like the melancholic aspect of it. It's always depressing. So the video is just me sort of sitting, um, sitting in that room, looking very depressed. And I think I think there was a lot of uh, there was a, there was a lot of end of the world sort of stuff going on at that time, if I remember correctly. I reckon that, you know I've got my, my, there's so much more you can talk about. You could talk I could talk about. Um, Anyway. Courtney, would, would you like us to open to for a few questions? You all know that film? They Live, check it out. Do you know They Live? It's about an alien invasion, but the aliens are uh, capitalists. So basically, the uh, so basically the world is overrun by aliens who uh, who basically just exploit capitalism, and they they sort of you know that's how they win. Thank Questions? you. Um, I thought it would be great to have um, to open the. The, for the floor to, to take a few questions if you wanted to continue the conversation. Yep. Um, yes, has anyone wanted to reflect or comment on, on Ronnie's uh, Rambling. great presentation? Has anyone had a UFO experience? I've never seen one. Yep. That's really interesting. I know how you started out talking about like the um, the Richard Dreyfuss character and Close Encounters yeah, yeah. as a sculptor, you know, and then we end on the, the, the They Live with John Carpenter with kind of in that film, there's like this, you know, references to kind of Barbara Kruger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. in the signage, you know, so I thought that was a nice end point there. You know, you, you begin with an artist and end with an artist, you know. Yeah, yeah. And amongst all the rest of it, there's all these aliens, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, and it's a great film in terms of that because it, it sort of used, and even though it's kind of about the same, it's sort of the same time as as that 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 kind of slogan art, you know, about text art was sort of prominent, wasn't it? And and I don't, I don't, it's not necessarily even clear that John Carpenter knew that stuff. Yeah. You know, he just used the same. Oh, maybe it was the production designer came up with the, you know, the marry reproduce. God, this is your god and. Um, And you know, it's it's got some really good actors in it, and um, and the weird the fact that you have to wear the sunglasses to see the truth, and uh, the truth is not out there. Hey, Ronnie, thanks. That was really fun. Um, are you familiar with the Westall sixty six? alien thing 
Yeah. I'll enlighten you. It's um, there's a really good doco. I think I saw it on like SBS or something years ago. Westall is like a suburb in sort of southeastern Melbourne, and apparently oh, yeah. in 1966 there was a big like oh, mass yeah, yeah, yeah. alien thing. Yeah, where yeah, the whole yeah. high school got abducted. The high, the high school was story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Ne- it's never been never been fully explained. No, and really sus. And apparently, like some girls, like you know, went to hospital and never came back. And mm-hmm. it's kind of exciting. Um, I did. I did have a. I did have a. Um, a I did get the. The newspaper headline about it, but I didn't put it in there. But yeah, the um, because also there's a lot of stuff going on in uh, Gippsland as well. Apparently, there's like a military base where there supposedly there was a flying saucer that um, a TV film crew filmed. It, it was an American Air Force base out somewhere out there. Is there any shows or movies that you're watching now that you're really into that kind of talk about aliens and space and stuff? I kind of keep up with. I sort of. I sort of go back to things, I guess, but I think this change is that's that's the, it's all it's the, the whole sort of interest in it that people have is you know, well the idea of the alien now is quite different than so I'm kind of interested in more the um, you know the so I don't, I don't really keep up with that sort of conspiracy stuff I'm not really that interested in 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 that that kind of thing but so I'm I'm much more interested in that sort of what it tells me about you know, I use it rather than um, you know. You know, so I, was, I was sort of more into those sort of uh, true story sort of things, you know, and and people are, it's not happening anymore. <laughs> it's, and that's, uh, you know, it's it's also because it's uh, technology's changed and our, our relationship to uh, the world has changed from from those from the past, you know. So I think our relationship to technology has changed quite a lot, and the fact that there's so much information and so much access out there changes, I think, the way that we uh, that the phenomena would exist t- today. It's it's never fully uh, well. You know, what's always interesting about like you know, Carl Jung wrote a book about flying saucers that sort of posits as a kind of a really significant um, thing to, worthy of study. Yet it's never ever happened. You know, it's it still remains in the kind of Crackpot, but also much more sort of popular culture now. It's like that grey alien is pretty much like surfer culture or something like that. You know, it's you know, it's like stoner culture. It's like you have an alien and a marijuana leaf. You know, it's kind of. I mean, there's all those things to do with you know drug taking as well, and the idea of, of the hallucination. And uh, so I'm more I'm more kind of interested in thinking about the um, thinking about the phenomena in that way. I mean, you know, just preparing preparing this talk it made me think about it a lot more, and I had to revisit all those films. There was the, there was a show called Taken, I think, and um, it was a few years ago, and I watched another one that was one of those sort of uh, the fourth kind, which I think made people very angry because it played with the idea. It was one of those sort of Blair Witch Project, but it was sort of doubled up because it sort of went. Um, it sort of said we have actual archival footage, but we have recreations as well. So they'd have this what 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 they said was archival, you know, real footage, with recreations by actors. But you know, the real footage was recreated or was created by actors. So you had it was you know, and pe- apparently uh, the res- the uh, the response was that people just felt really angry about the um, about this double manipulation, or they maybe they wanted to be- wanted to have a basis in truth. It was about a whole town in Alaska that um, had been, uh, that people had gone missing, but it wasn't true. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ronnie, for uh, your right. wonderful talk, and please join me in thanking Ronnie Van Hout. Thank you.
You have been listening to an ACCA podcast recorded by ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne. To listen to more from us, subscribe to ACCA on Apple Podcasts or follow ACCA on SoundCloud. To find out more about our exhibitions and programs, visit acca.melbourne and sign up to our mailing list.